Welcome to Let's Face the Facts, the rewatch podcast for the classic sitcom, The Facts of Life. Join us each week as we synopsize, analyze, criticize, and ultimately idolize the show. And now, here's your host of Let's Face the Facts, the wonderful David Almeida. Thank you, Matthew Arder. Welcome back to another week, another show. Thank you for downloading and pressing play. This week, we continue with the second part of The Facts of Life Down Under. We have our guest, Paul Padilla, who was with us last week. If you haven't listened to last week's show, you probably want to do that before you get into this. We do join it sort of halfway through already conversation in progress. And the really thrilling thing about this week is after we're done at the end of the show, there's also an interview that Matthew and I were able to do with the costumer, Diana Eden. And we have a really nice conversation with her regarding the movie. Now, before we get to the show, I need to remind you, the cliffhanger we had from last week was Matthew said he could not handle it if anybody during the course of this podcast spoke with an Australian accent, meaning he didn't want me to speak with an Australian accent. And he basically got some uh, vodka ready, and uh, Paul then followed suit and got some Chardonnay because they, too, figured it would be a great drinking game to see how many times I would fuck up and talk in an Australian accent. So I hadn't done it yet as of the end of last week's show. As we join part two in progress, you will now be able to see how all of that ended up turning out. So, let's jump on in. Let's face the facts, Down Under, Part 2, with Paul Padilla and our very special guest, Diana Eden. So, we've said that, uh, yeah, the Beverly Ann uh, romantic story is kind of a snore, though Cloris Leachman, she is acting her ass off. She is doing so wonderfully playing the different layers and the the conflicts. And if you do take into consideration, as you mentioned, Paul, she had never played Beverly Ann before this. The season hadn't started taping yet. So she was having to come into this cold with a new character, new dynamic, new relationships that would be established later, but have not been established now. Um, At the very least, they were smart enough to connect her and Andy and put them together. Andy, God bless him. He's a great wingman. You got to give him credit for that. For a a 13-year-old horny boy that can't seem to get lucky, he certainly knows how to fix up a 60-year-old lady, doesn't he? He, I mean, again, he's adorable. Adorbs and spot on. Great performance. I just didn't need lines like, oh, maybe I can meet Willie and Tom. Only if you can bark. What do you mean? What do you think he means, Andy? (laughs) Willie and Tom are dogs. And then a 13 second pause while they all go. (laughs) (laughs) You're right. Yep, 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 yep. So, (laughs) uh, yeah, but I mean. but every minute it's like, Andy, let's, you know, it's like, oh, it's, it's getting dark and the dingoes are going to be attacked any minute now. Uh, no, you two go on ahead. Uh, I'll catch up later. I just want to hang out here with the sheep. 
And then they go off and Beverly Ann looks back at him in wide eyes and him waving, doing the physical wave, like, go on, go. You can fuck this dude. Keep at it. Keep at it. It's like, <laughs> well, I mean, bless his heart. It's, it's, a, it's a thankless role. And then this whole imposed thing of, yeah, sure, he's interested in sheep farming. Yeah. I don't know a 13-year-old boy from Peekskill, New York, who wasn't considering sheep farming as a career path. Do you? Well, I just thought it was funny how, you know, Andy's, the haircut that Andy should have had for his age at that time, Joe had. (laughs) (laughs) Joe has the worst hair. And I don't think the hair was ever cool for a girl, though. You know what I mean? Like, that's pretty bad. Like. Oh, it was. I I remember this was this was happening for for a a, a handsome woman. It's just uh, a little intense to me. I mean, and then she has it for a while for that season coming up, but it's just like that is especially ugly. I think a girl from New New Jersey or New York. I think I think that was. I mean, they had severe hair. Seems the, very masculine, but yeah, yeah. yeah. There was the scene when they're. Uh, Blair and Joe and the two, the cop and the crook are eating at a table by the water. And the way the camera angles had to be set up, the the reverse shot of the guys had to have the back of Joe's head between them. And that was when you were just like, God damn, that's a, this is a 360 mullet bitches. Wow. This is, this is occupying more screen time than the two actors on either side. Uh, it was it, it was a character in and of itself, really and truly. And God love it. God love it. So we talked about the boringness of the Beverly Ann romantic story. We've talked about the preposterousness of the Blair and Joe jewel heist. Uh, we've talked about the impossibility of the situation of them even being there. Uh, let's move on. We still have to talk about uh, Tootie's journey and Natalie's journey. I, I'm going to surprise you here. I wanted to punch Tootie in the face. You the entire, you didn't like Tootie? What? I just couldn't handle it. Uh, writing. Got, Again, you, the writing. Having her be the one that's... <laughs> I'm going to use all the local terms that the Australians use because that won't be annoying. When she meets Mario Van Peebles with his didgeridoo in his hand. Giggity. And she goes, are you on a walkabout? Shut up. (laughs) Shut up. (laughs) Shut up. And she shouldn't be walking about alone like that either. She like left. She wasn't by herself or she would have fell or. Well, that's. I mean, you know, that's. That's nothing compared to Natalie, who just jumps in the first truck of a guy she meets who he says, I'm going to I'm going to take you to my ranch that is 2000 square miles, for <laughs> Christ's sake. Is that how big he said it was? 2000 square miles. I'm going to take this woman I've never met. I'm going to get into this guy's truck and <laughs> go into the outback. All right. You deserve what happens to you. That's how a 48 you deserve- hour investigate starts, you know, and then you, she goes missing and that's it. So, yeah. Oh, you you that. deserve to get your feet licked by a camel for Christ's <laughs> sake. Uh, Matthew, you know what? You bring up an interesting point. And I think now we understand why Beverly Ann has to be there as their chaperone. Unfortunately, she abandons them to go off to be with Roger. But, gee, what, Beverly Ann, we're all grown women now. We don't need a chaperone. Uh, yeah. Blair and Joe tell uh, two potential jewel thieves or cops the address where all of them are staying. Tootie 
it just goes off with this super hot, muscly dude who could easily beat her up, abduct her, do worse. The two is just like, oh, hi, I'm looking around at things. Can you show me where things are? Okay, I'll go into this cave with you alone. And then Natalie, same thing. Wow, I've always wondered what a cattle farm is like. Well, do you want to see it? Okay. It, it, they all literally make, they clearly were not listening to the My Favorite Murder podcast at that time and understanding how dangerous things are for young women. And this was after like Ted Bundy and shit. You know what I mean? Like you should know that you don't do that. Oh, we had serial killers, believe me. And nice. having been raised in the North, believe me, the whole, all, all Gen X, we were raised with kidnappings and murders being uh, at any point it could happen to one of us. Seriously. It's like, there is no, oh, the amount of, again. And we did, we already did get the, uh, the history of Australia being founded as a, um, a penal colony, which giggity, but <laughs> <laughs> I laughed yep. like a little girl. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, and and it's, and again, I'm in a strange country, and I'm just gonna tell my, I'm just gonna tell my friend, no way of contacting me or finding me. I'm going out on this two thousand square mile ranch with a total stranger. See ya. And you were talking about 2,000 square miles. It didn't occur to me, number one, why is he talking miles and not kilometers? But the other thing is, I did do a little research because Matthew pointed out that that sounds large. How big, how big is the country of Australia? You said you looked that up. I didn't. It is the size of the United States, roughly. I mean, like, because they have these maps where they sit Australia right on top of United States and it mm -hmm. basically it's basically the size of the United States. And so we were talking about 2000 square miles that's not the same as 2000 linear miles. This is where we all discovered that neither of us are real good in math. Anyhow, what little attempt at math that we made, we figured that this guy's farm is somewhere between the size of Rhode Island and Connecticut. <laughs> like that's a big ass farm and then how many uh, how many cows did he say how much cattle three thousand was it no yeah it's something like that yeah yeah but you were saying so each of them gets uh, each cow gets <laughs> its own mile i guess its, its own square mile of half a mile i guess i don't know yeah awesome that's weird but also i don't know anything about cattle ranching maybe that's a pretty I mean, maybe that's a very valid 3,000 cattle for 2,000 square miles. I don't know, you know. She asks him, you know, how many you have. He says, not many, right? Doesn't he say that? And then he says the number. So maybe yeah. Now, can I bring this up just to get us off this math thing? Let's do Wait. it. Um, time check. This aired, I believe, after the Cupid episode, right? The day after, yes. Beverly Ann is dating Oliver right now. That's right. And Tootie has rekindled her relationship with Jeff as well. And Natalie is dating Snake. The, these are whores. Oh, my God. So I wonder how Snake, I wonder how Snake would feel about Natalie heading out into the outback with Rim. They're on vacation. Yeah, that doesn't count, does it? I realize none of that had been written yet, but... 
when they aired this. I mean, mm-hmm. oh yeah. But she's out there. She's dating Oliver out there, whoring herself out like a koala looking for a eucalyptus fix. Right, <laughs> say. And we got koalas. Beverly Ann and Andy are at a zoo before they decide to make their journey. So we we get all the the stuff about that about the koalas. The yeah, the attempt at this being educational is like, oh guys, really, really. So yeah, we all agree that we have creepy. Kevin and Nick, the cops and or crooks. We have David, whom Tootie mistakes as being an Aboriginal person and lets her believe so, even though he's actually uh, an anthropology doctoral candidate at Yale. He's from the States. But, you know, what's lying to a chick to try and see if you can maybe score? You know what I'm saying, guys? Uh Ren is the nicest of them. Ren, who I was getting kind of a young uh, Kevin Costner vibe off of him. Like he could have, young Kevin Costner and he could have played brothers. I wonder what he looks like today. Hmm. But uh, he's the one who politely asks Natalie if she wants to see the farm, the cattle farm. And when they're out building a fire and having to huddle up in a blanket, He's helping her stay warm. He's not making any moves. And it's not till the next morning when he's teaching her how to throw the boomerang, when when they both reach down to pick it up and accidentally knock heads. And he kisses her just very chastely. He just gives her a sweet kiss. And then it's like, oh, I have an idea. Why don't we strap the the, the broken down truck to a camel and let it tow us? Yeah. Because that's not, slower than we would fucking walk but yeah you're right of all the men all the toxic traits and roger we beverly and does remember that roger does have a little chauvinistic streak about him where he says you know what you could have your freedom here i'd let you do whatever you want earlier she asks about how his daughter prepared the food so quickly he says well she is the woman of the house So it's like, okay, Roger, you're fucking out of here, you chauvinist bastard pig. Well, and the fact that he admitted, I had a very happy marriage, but every day I thought about you. Oh, red flag. Yeah. And then the daughter's like, oh, there's a woman down at a nearby farm and he sees her too and they like each other. And yeah, if you leave, he's probably gonna be with her. So we're, we're good. But I did, you know, want to say that I thought Ren was definitely one of the better actors in the whole movie. You know what I mean? He's just had really sincere moments and the way he would look at her. And, you know, he really took some time and I really enjoyed his his performance. I was like, oh, he's he's good. And that's why I was curious. What else did he do in Australia? But yeah, I don't know. He's a pretty good actor. Well, they're all Australian. I, I Before we go on that that trip, I will say I agree with you. My only want for it is I would have loved to have seen him rewarded more for this. Why could he and Natalie have not been making out by the fire? Just kissing? No, no hand stuff? No, no over the clothes, whatever. I mean, okay, if you want to, a little bit of hand stuff, maybe a coppa, a little feel here and there, but they could have at least kissed to make it it was romantic. It's like, well, he's protecting her and the outback and the dingo might eat her baby. And yeah. anyway. Uh, yeah, And I think that Mindy as well, you know, when you look at these TV movies, these facts of life movies, especially the one that came after this, you know, the horrible one, but uh, it's like, she's, she, she's the one that kind of, I think has the easiest transition into this kind of 
from sitcom to film. You know what I mean? I think she's just more natural than they're all of them. They're still kind of doing their sitcom-y acting and she's just kind of, she's taking it down a level. She's just kind of more in the, in the room. And I kind of felt that through this one and the next one that comes out, um, you know, she's just more chill than everybody else in front of the camera, in front of the film camera, you know. I, I would agree with that. I think her lack of training serves her well. The fact mm -hmm. that she doesn't have Kim Fields still has her moments of, I'm speaking like I'm announcing something. Wow, this is a really cool country you have here. Can you show me more things in the caves? It's still that child coached acting style that sometimes she just cannot shake. Um, and, and God bless Mindy Cohn because she's the one that's given a lot of the attempts at the funny lines. It, it, and, you know, and, uh, you know, I, I they're, they're just, there's not a lot of humor. This isn't funny. The attempts to make Blair the shallow one, Blair like, well, you know, they're, they're going to take us out to dinner, but they also might kill us before we go to the opera. I wonder what I should wear. It's like, really, really? Blair's 22. Really? <laughs> She's not the, the vain teenager we met back in 1981, for Christ's sake. Right. Well, and they're sitting around the table eating and they, they propose a toast and it's like, oh, you could be a complete jewel heister. You could be a cop. I don't know, but you called me pretty. So, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yes, yes. Okay. All right. But what, uh, Paul, you started talking about and just of note is that they did use all Australian actors. Uh, some of them were born in New Zealand, but they clearly work in both countries. And uh, let me tell you, they're all actually, with what they're given to do, they're all good. Yes, there are American actors who do Australian accents. I am one of them. But watching an American fake it versus getting authentic local actors, I think that was the right choice. Oh, 100%. But as in, as in, I thought, again, our issues are with the writing, some of the, the direction and pacing, but the performances, it, it was kind of thankless what they all had to play, but I think they all did it. And they're all super handsome. I mean, I mean, fuckability, two thumbs up there, kids, totally for all of them. I want to know if the director was like, in this scene in the mall, I want you to have ice cream cone and just lick on it when you're watching the girls like i mean it seems so strange to me <laughs> I mean, whose choice was that you know i was just wondering yeah and ice cream is the worst because it's like okay we're gonna, gonna go back to one gonna get another take gonna do take six or take seven of it it's it's like okay well do we need to reset the ice cream's melting is the actor have to eat typically actors try not to eat they fake it when they have a scene like that and it's like okay uh, mm. David, I, I I love that you think that there were more than one takes. <laughs> yeah. uh, you're right. You're totally right. There was one ice cream cone purchased, one cone consumed. Yep. That's a wrap. We're done. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I will say this, that um, we kind of glossed over Beverly Ann's relationship and everything. And I brought up um, how she's dating um, Orson Bean at this time, but um, they talk about when she met Roger and she says, oh, the day you picked me up under that maple tree in Central Park. Beverly Ann had never been to New York City. Wow. You are right. Until she went 
to accompany Tootie at her audition for the Broadway show that Cinnamon got. Yeah. So. Oh, good catch, Matthew. Very yeah. good catch. Didn't even occur to me, but yeah, that's that's a big one right there. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Hire this man. Be on series and be like inconsistent. Mm-hmm. But I did lose my mind a little. And in my notes anyway, we're at the point where Blair and and Joe get trapped in the in the Sydney, Australia um opera house. Oh. God damn. Yeah. I love how you can just sneak in a back door and get everywhere in the Australia Opera House. Maybe that's true. Wow. But they're up there. They're trapped. What could we possibly do? There's no way anybody will notice this woman in a red dress, like up by the organ, for Christ's sake. Nobody's going to notice. The choir singing down below me isn't going to notice the lady in the giant red dress at the top of the staircase. Come on. And then they had to pull the whole, we're we're tuning up the organ because, which she actually did play a G sharp. I I would like that known when she said the G sharp is is missing or something. I noticed that too. She said the E flats and the G sharps are from America. So we're Americans. I did notice that too. And and it's funny in, in the right hand, she did uh, she did an A sharp down a G sharp. It was like, uh, oh no, she like corrected it. So uh, uh, that's so funny. We're such that's music nerds. And still that weird thing that, you know, all of a sudden let's not mention it, how she got to learn how to play the piano, but let's just throw Joe in in front of a piano or an organ again, you know, like they, they randomly do throughout the show. And know? have her make noise, like to get the attention. It's like, well, why the fuck didn't Joe start playing something? Joe can play an organ is, you know, it wouldn't be a full organ concerto. She can play Glowworm and she can play that one song that that she did with Mr. G or whatever. Feelings, yeah. feelings, yes. Yeah, Oh Holy Night. And uh, yeah, but <laughs> the thing is, that it had to be, it wasn't a, oh, great, we're trapped. Now what do we do? Uh, you say, hey, guys, I got two fucking goons up here want to kill us. Can you call the cops? Call a uniformed police officer, for the love of God. Yeah. Instead, the choir director with awful teeth. Oh, my God. Oh, bless his heart. Oh, my God. That was deeply disturbing. Oh. He was like, what? Are you, I'm not going to do an improv. I'm not doing the accent. He's like, what are you doing up there? You're a man. You shouldn't be not in the middle of my rehearsal. I'm going to see about this. And off he goes. And it's just like, or you could say, fucking help us. Jesus. Yeah, we have to trick this guy into coming up here because uh, yeah. he's not going to he's not going to be willing to help us if we tell him two people are going to kill us. Yeah. He'd be um, like, well, you're on your own, girls. Exactly. It's just the, 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 uh, it's the, the, the Blair and Joe story. And again, it gets so much screen time where you're just sitting here going, how is this happening right now? How did we get here? I don't understand. It's, it's just deeply, deeply upsetting. <laughs> you know, I, I was always impressed as a kid and was a little impressed recently, last night. But, it, and I don't know. Do I thought it looks like Lisa really threw that shoe and it hit the camera, or do you think that was trickery? Or 
when they were, they were running up the, the the stairs of the opera house and she turned yes. around. Yes, I think she hit the camera. I yeah. think that was an, a happy accident. because was a really good shot. And I thought, yeah. it looks real to me, but maybe I'm just delusional, but it looks pretty real to me. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. It, it hits it right perfectly and then it falls. And I'm like, yeah, there you go. So has either of you been to Australia? No. No? Let's go. I, we should. I'd love it. Let's we, let's do a facts of life down under tour. Let's. That's our new career. Fuck COVID. Fuck the acting scene in America. We're going to do the facts of life down under. See the sights tour, with with camels and trucks that break down, Sheep. like a theme park ride. Oh no, the truck is broken down. What are we going to do now? And then comes the helicopter. Matthew, you had to throw a boomerang now. Yeah, we we'll totally do it. Oh, oh no! I'll stay home and watch the shop. I'm good. <laughs> Thank you. I'm not sitting on a goddamn airplane for 18 hours. Uh, another fucking thing coming. Well, I will say I did go to Australia and New Zealand. It was a big 50th birthday trip, and and it is a gorgeous country really is we didn't get to the outback per se but something that did strike me in this is how often they use the term aborigine to describe uh what what david mario van peebles is pretending to be and i think we did talk about this once before one thing we noticed in the museums and the art displays that we saw around sydney is that uh, similar to what's happening in this country. They are culturally within the last decade trying to really be conscious of the fact that this land belonged to other people before the white people came and took it away. And so there's been this big resurgence in um, acknowledging and displaying uh, art of the Aboriginal people. And I did look it up to be sure if anything in the terminology had changed. And sure enough, Aborigine is outdated. Um, it's it's more appropriate to call them native people or Aboriginal people. The important thing is that the word people is in there, uh, as opposed to saying, you know, you told me you were an Aborigine. It's that's a little outdated. I'm not sure it's full on offensive or awful, but uh, I just thought we needed to have this little woke moment here as we like to do and acknowledge anytime the facts of life is uh, existing in a time different than ours and we need to refocus the lens. Yeah, the views of the facts of life go down under do not necessarily reflect the views <laughs> of the hosts of the Face of Facts podcast. Yeah, exactly. These fags don't give a shit. So uh, another punch Tootie moment. Um, oh, good. Please. Tootie in the taxi with Mario Van Peebles and his didgeridoo. Um, and she goes, you wanted the Museum of South Wales. Driver, this is it. I'm a stranger who's never been here before and you're a cab driver in this city. But driver, driver, here is the museum. Oh my God. Shut I, the fuck up, Tootie. <laughs> I totally missed that. Totally missed that. And, and honestly, spoiler alert, Mario Van Peebles is not an Aboriginal person. He's a doctor of anthropology from Yale who wants to play mind games with a fucking 19-year-old girl who's never been out of peak skill. Red flag. 
Mm-mm. Toxic. Yep. Uh, right up there. Mm. There's a lot of creepers in this show. You got the policemen, and they got Beverly Ann's dude, mm. and then you got, I mean, that's a lot of. Yeah. Ren is the only redeemable male love interest in this that doesn't that, that doesn't have any red flags going on yet and, but, um, um, i mean this is another thing to, it's going to backtrack it but they they go to a restaurant and cook their own steaks i i, I wouldn't want to do that oh fucking melting pot shoot me in the face i've never been to the melting pot is that what you do i don't like to do that uh, well, melting pot is fondue matthew's talking about the you know cooking your yeah. own meat i mean the- i want it to taste good and if i cook it it's not going to taste good i just think that's a weird I don't even know that they really do that, Paul. It was just set up so that when Nick walks up to Blair and Joe, he can say, mind if I throw a couple more shrimp on the Barbie? Like, oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Really? Really say that here? Oh, one thing I did uh, not point out that I did want to mention is that uh, other than that one Beverly Ann scene that has the beautiful camera movement, the romantical scene with her and Roger lighting the lanterns. For the most part, all of the other cuts from this for the syndicated version, the four part version of this that ran with the syndication package, everything else is just little trims, little nips and tucks, nothing you really would notice or need to bother with uh, knowing about. So uh, just as an FYI, you're you're not having any major pieces of the plot missing. Thank God when you watch it in syndication. We have to talk about the the resolution. What else? About the resolution, how they they run on stage and steal Natalie's backpack. Oh, and, yeah. And chaos ensues, and then Crocodile Dun Green over here faces him. <laughs> Chases him down and throws a goddamn boomerang direct hit to the back of the neck, for Christ's sake. <laughs> okay. All right. Which she learned hours before how to throw a boomerang. And uh, yeah. Mm. One thing I do love at the final scene, the sort of setup to the apparently reception of something that is the last scene, the last shots, it's two girls bringing out a gigantic sheet cake. <laughs> for 20 minutes, they have to walk the longest. And and clumsily down uneven pavement and stairs. I'm like going, they gonna drop that fucking cake. How many yeah, takes I mean, did they have to do of that? I hope we didn't lose any cake in the process of this film. Well, fucking Joe almost knocks it out of her hand. Like they didn't even choreograph them doing it. Like they didn't say, <laughs> oh, by the way, actors be aware there's gonna be a giant sheet cake coming through. Because Nancy almost fucking bumps into them and knocks them over. Of all the opportunities they had in, you know, Australia to, to have a, a choreographed shot, that's the one they chose to do with, you know, two girls of cake. As God is my witness for how much I did not enjoy this and do not think this is anywhere near the strongest work that our beloved show has put out. In that scene, I did have a little brain moment where I went, oh, but there's cake. Oh, yeah. I was a fat kid. So, yeah, I, you know, I wanted the cake. (laughs) Well, where do they live? Because he says uh, he steals the backpack, but there's no jewel in it because they lost the jewels somewhere over their cattle ranch. Yeah. But he says the cop says, well, 500 people just saw you steal this backpack. You'll get eight months for that for stealing a backpack. (laughs) 
that had nothing in it. Okay. Hard time, Hard time for that in Australia. Wow. Jesus. Talk about the penal code. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, I think I have covered all the major points that I've wanted to cover and things I wanted to point out. There's a ton, ton more little itty bitty things. But uh, uh, do you guys have anything else that you want to cover? I'm thinking that we're, we're kind of winding down and getting to the end here. That was all my notes. I covered everything in my notes. Yep, I got through all of them. You know, I, I watched this uncomfortably too many times as a kid. I loved it. I thought it was had adventure and fun and, you know, so it was really fun to watch it. Well, not fun, but it was interesting to watch it at 47 years old, uh, you know, and to be like, God, I was obsessed with this when I was in the sixth grade. But, you know, so thanks for the thanks for the little jaunt down memory lane and uh, the walkabout down memory lane. And yeah, it was fun. Wow. So you were obsessed with this as a kid and you love this movie. And yep. now us taking you back there, we've, I guess what I'm hearing is we've ruined you shit all over it. You shit all over it. I'm just okay. <laughs> yep. Okay. Yeah. Just to be clear. Yep. Yeah. Just to be very clear. Yep. All right, then. I just want to know, and let me know what your thoughts are on this. Cause I was thinking this the whole time. Obviously it's exciting to see the girls in Australia. And that was one of the big things about it, but like, why do these movies have to involve like things that these girls would never get involved in? Why couldn't it just be four girls in Australia, all with different plans and trying to work it into their schedule and Joe being bored at the opera because Blair had to go to the opera and Natalie wanting to see the zoo and wanting to hold a koala and all the girls having to be like, oh, this is our point at the zoo. Like, why couldn't it just be just the sitcom writing for these girls? That would have been just enjoyable enough. I didn't need to see Joe and fucking Blair in a jewel heist for Christ's sake. No, I, I agree. I Why agree. did it have to be so deep? It's like, you know, like you watch the episodes of Roseanne where they go to Disney World, where like that could have been a TV movie where it was just them in situations at Disney World, which was enough, you know? Yeah. But uh, we have to, like if, if they had come to Disney World and Roseanne got involved with a fucking jewel heist, for Christ's sake. Yeah. Ugh, okay. Mm. I, I agree. All right, then. Well, Paul, thank you for joining us. You were here for uh, the Facts of Life Goes to Paris. And uh, it was just magnificently fitting that we would have you back for this. And of course, the reunion movie, which is coming up uh, much later this year. We will have you back for that as well. But I'm so glad you're able to make the time. And thank you for connecting with us. Thank you so much. I had a great it was a great way to start the day. So thank you. It was a fun way to spend an afternoon talking about the facts of life down under. Well, down oh, oh, piss! You did it! Oh, oh and he's oh, drinking. He's right to. Oh, he was ready to go. God damn it! I'm a sip of my Chardonnay too. <laughs> Everyone's. I need to. I need to. I need some alcohol. Okay, I'm letting you go so I can go drink oh. something. <laughs> Thank you, boys. Mwah. Thanks, guys. There you have it. That was Paul Padilla. And yes, that was Matthew being the one who screwed up first and spoke with the Australian accent. I just want to make sure that the record reflects that that is what ended up happening. So that was our discussion of the facts of life down under. 
Now, let's go over to a separate Zoom call that Matthew and I were able to arrange with the costumer and our close personal friend, Diana Eden. Well, welcome back to the show, Diana Eden. Hello. Hi, happy to be here. All the way from Las Vegas and your lovely home out in the Western time zone, we had to do math to try and figure out what time to meet, but we made it work and we're thrilled to have you here. Matthew's on the horn as well. Hello, Diana. Lovely to see your gorgeous face again. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) So we have many questions because we have a plethora of fun episodes happening all at the same time. And we wanted to start with the TV movie, The Facts of Life Down Under. Yes. Our first question that we, it never occurred to us to ask you in our other conversations uh, with, with you, uh, did you go to Australia? Did, did, were you part of that crew and did you get to go? I wish, but no, alas, no. Oh. Um, No, I would love to have gone. Are you kidding? It would have been so fabulous. Um, no, we, um, I got the script and uh, actually the funny thing is um, it was the first time I'd ever heard the word facts and Rita Dillon, the producer said, well, they're going to fax over the script from Australia or they're going to fax over a list of something. And I thought, if they're doing it today, how, what is this fax and how am I going to get it right away? I mean, that's, how much technology has changed. (laughs) Wow. So, you know, that makes me feel very ancient, but that was the truth. Anyway, they've axed over the list of um, um, locations and I got the script. Um, And um, so I shopped uh, for as many outfits as I could for the girls. They came in and it was right at the end of one of the seasons and they were really kind of not in the mood to do more fittings but I had to fit them with enough outfits um, to cover the whole feature film. And um, then everything was packed up and um, shipped off. And then they had a local crew there. And of course, once I saw the movie and saw the locations, I could think, oh, I should have saved the red dress for here, or I should have put them in something more, you know, but what are you gonna do? You do the best you can. And I got paid and I got, screen credit so you know there you go that's great and i also did get to costume the gorgeous um young man whose name escapes me mario Um, van peebles yes Uh oh my god did you have to you had to fit those pants and no shirt you're like let's try this without the shirt let's try this without the pants yeah yes you're welcome (laughs) yeah so um and of course, Claris, I got a whole, all her outfits together and uh, we pretty much did it in one fitting because um, they were all kind of flying off. And um, so, you know, I had to keep their attention long enough that we, you know, got like six or seven outfits each. And then um, everything was packed and shipped off. So that's really all I can say about, you know, my participation in it. We, we were noticing most of the actors playing the, the males in the movie, other than Mario Van Peebles, were yeah. local to Australia right. or New Zealand. So did exactly. you just have to get a, a size chart and 
hope for no, the best? Or? Those people were costumed down there. I mm -hmm. needed the principals. I did the four girls and Cloris and Mac and uh, oh. Beatles, yes. Okay, so you didn't so, have to do all the girls' uniforms for the, no, the sister school no. and all that stuff. No. Oh, good. That's that's yeah. great. So you know, and I think it, it you know that made sense because I knew the girls and knew their tastes and their bodies and what they needed, um, rather than having a local that you know had never worked with him before because um, that can be rough, you know. And as you know, the girls are all different and needed special, you know styles that that fit their personalities sure yeah. so we know that this was filmed during the summer hiatus before season eight so yeah. the film shoot predates uh edna garrett's wedding and the arrival of cloris leachman so yes. she's coming into this having to play as though she's in the middle of a season though she has never worked with anyone before yes, yes. and you wrote in your book stars in their underwear that when you spoke to her on the phone initially about the character of Beverly Ann, you said yeah. you described your ideas and she came back with, and I'm quoting your book here, that is exactly the opposite of everything I have in mind. Yes. <laughs> yeah, well, which aren't words that you really want to hear. <laughs> but it was a lesson early um, in my designing career to, to say less and listen more. Um, and, um, you know, and I, I'd been working with Charlotte and I knew the character of the house mother and I knew that NBC, you know, the show was very family friendly and I wasn't prepared for um, the wildly creative and eccentric um, woman that uh, Cloris Leachman was. Mm -hmm. So um, she wanted her first arrival in uh, Peekskittle to be in um, Bermuda shorts and camping gear. And the, you know, the producers were all going, oh my God, no, 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 that's, that's not gonna work, you know? So from the very beginning, she had very adventurous ideas which had to be tamed a little to fit um, the NBC, uh, you know, fact of life brand. Mm -hmm. And she, and she looks gorgeous as far as oh, we're yeah. witnessing that now because we're in, uh, I think we're about to do season, episode 18. 62 pickup is the next episode, and that's 18. And yes. uh, seeing yes. her moving into more feminine things and more fitted dresses and less uh, drapey, blousey things. And and she ends up, she yeah. looks great. Well, she had an amazing figure, you know. And um, uh, so you could really put her in anything and, and, and uh, she would look fantastic. Yes. Not the matronly, you know, character that you think a house mother would be. And, and um, you know, yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, thank you so much for these little tidbits of information. We really appreciate mm -hmm. it. And we can't wait to talk to you again. Great. Excellent. And there you have it. That was Diana Eden. And sadly, she did not actually go on location to be around while this film was being made. And uh, she travels quite a bit, actually. And I was surprised to find out that she has never been to Australia. And even she herself said, yeah, I got to make that happen. So uh, I hope she does. And we thank her so much for giving us her time to be on the show. And you know, we are big fans of her memoir called Stars in Their Underwear. And that is available through Amazon. I will put the link in the show notes and on this episode's webpage. 
Now next week, we are going to be doing another landmark, popular, well-known episode, 62 Pickup. Really fun show with a lot of costuming in it and, uh, hmm, maybe we might have talked with Diana a little bit about that episode too. Hmm, maybe you'll have to just tune in and find out. In the meantime, you can watch the episode ahead of time for free at dailymotion.com. That link is also in the show notes and on this episode's webpage. That is all for this week. Thank you again so much for listening to the show. And remember, the facts of life are all about you. Let's Face the Facts was created, produced, written, hosted, and edited by the wonderful David Almeida. Our theme song was beautifully arranged and recorded by Ned Wilkinson. Please visit facethefactspod.com for supplemental photos and videos, links to social media, and ways that you can support the show. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. This is Matthew Arder saying tune in again next week for another thrilling episode of Let's Face the Facts.